My name's Kevin O'Connell. I got a chance to meet a few of you, uh, and those of you that have come back to several events, thank you so much. This is our fifth Fireside Chat event. This all stemmed, as I, I say for every event, it stemmed from my curiosity and scratching my own itch for people that found a job that they love. And just about three years ago, I was miserable, dead-end job, and, and I was very unhappy. And um, I'm really excited to interview one of my good friends who I met in graduate school, Stacy Campisi. And I met her husband as well in graduate school, and we've been friends for probably 10 years now. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited because all the other guests that some of you may have seen, whether it's in person or through video, they, uh, they've been guests that uh, we've either connected through being here in DC or through LinkedIn, and we've just heard that they've had a really cool story. But I'm excited to sit down with Stacey. I think it's going to be a little bit different as far as hearing about her journey to college and out of college, but more importantly, because she is a life coach and she does professional development for a living, what I've said to a lot of people, I think it's going to be very practical, very uh, tangible. And again, I've said it many times, I wouldn't be standing right here, and I wouldn't have written a book, I wouldn't be an entrepreneur if it wasn't for Stacy. literally almost three years ago of Memorial Day weekend, where we set over a bottle of wine, and she kicked me in the ass and said, Kev, you got this, you can do it, and I don't know what pills she gave me, but I spent the next 90 days basically starting to write this book and becoming an entrepreneur and moving to DC. And so without further ado, I'd really like to give it up for my friend Stacy Campisi. So the way we like to do these is we like to go about 35 to 40 minutes. Uh, I was just telling Stacy off camera that I think this is our second largest uh, full house here. So our first one, we had about 40 people. This one, we have a really good turnout. So I think Stacy, you're obviously drawing a crowd or there's a pain point out there of people trying to make a career transition, or you just have a really good fan club, I don't know. Um, but so I'd like to go about 40 minutes, but then I, what, what makes these really special and intimate is being able to answer questions. And so if you have a question at any time, whether it's anything that we talk about, we'll spend a good 10, 15 minutes at the end where I think Stacy can answer and field those questions. And obviously we'll have plenty of snacks and beer and, and wine to drink, and we feel free to mingle here until 8, 8.30. So, that's what you guys are in for. And again, I know there's a lot of noise and a lot of events happening in DC. So thank you guys for choosing this one and coming out tonight. I don't think you'll be dis disappointed. So Stacey, we're going to share this mic back and forth. Um, so as I alluded to, I, I met Stacy in graduate school at Centenary College, which is a very, very small, tiny school in northwest corner of New Jersey. Would you agree, Stace? Yeah, there's more cows than people, <laughs> literally. And um, I think both of us, I, I know you went there for your undergrad, and I want to find out how you landed there, but I didn't know what I was getting into. And I think uh, a lot of us that we were in our early 20s, we made the most of it, from our master's degree to our work experience. I think that's what propelled many of us to get to where we are today. Uh, but I know that's when we were bitching and complaining aloud, like, can you believe this? But let's talk to you, let's talk about, tell, tell the audience of like where you're from, how you wound up at Centenary College, and, and a little bit about your college experience. Oh my gosh, you're going way back. So as, as Kev mentioned, Centenary is a tiny little place in northwestern New Jersey. And I grew up about 45 minutes from there. Um, and you know, in high school, I was your kind of your typical overachiever. Although, <laughs> for some reason, I never really thought about where I'd go to college. I always just assumed to be Rutgers University. It's the state school of Jersey. Kevin eventually worked there. Um, and so in my mind, that, that was where I was going. And when it came time to do applications, you know, someone had advised me, well, you might want to consider other options. Um, and randomly, someone mentioned Centenary. And so I went, I took the campus tour, and I remember I met one professor in particular who I just immediately loved, Amy DeLivo. Um, and she is the reason that I ended up going to Centenary, not to Rutgers. And I didn't know it at the time, but that decision actually came from my core values, which is connection. Um, but at 18, I didn't know any better, right, to know what a core value was or how I was honoring those. Um, <clears throat> and for me, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what I'm to major in. I just knew I wanted to help people. And so in my 18 years of infinite wisdom, that led me to social work. And I did that for about mm, two semesters and realized, oh, social workers make no money and they get burned out pretty quickly. Oh, okay, well, maybe I'll switch majors. And I went to just straight sociology. Not much better in terms of uh, <laughs> lucrative careers. Um, but, you know, but Centenary for me um, was great because it was small. It allowed me to build relationships. It allowed me to build connections. And it really allowed me to develop friendships. Um, and, you know, I met my, my husband there um, that have lasted throughout these past, we'll just say 10 years. <laughs> 
Um, so, so let's talk about, so I know you were very involved at Centenary. We, we did our master's degree there. Other than Amy DeLiva, what is something that you, a physical experience or, or a life-changing moment that really kind of propelled you into your early 20s? Mm, that's from a great, yeah. So, so I, I know really, we talked about all the downs, but what right. was a positive experience? Yeah, I struggled with conf confidence a lot um, in my early 20s. Um, because Centenary was a small school, on the first day of classes, literally there'd be like 10 or 15 people in a class. And we'd have to go around and introduce ourselves. And I would literally sweat and shake in the corner because I had to say my name and where I was from. It was terrifying. Um, and you know, going to a small school like that where people got to know you and they could see your potential really catapulted me into my career. Um, one of the other folks that we met at Centenary Canvas um, approached me my sophomore year about doing student leadership. And again, with someone who struggles with confidence, I never saw myself in a leadership position. Um, but the more we talked about it and the more I realized, okay, I think I could do this, it's not so scary. That was really a game changer. It was really the first time in my life that I was doing something that I knew I was good at and that really fueled me. Yeah, wow. So the first thing I heard you say is, is you like to help others. And I think there's, some, there's a couple of people in this room that would say you would agree with Stacey. She's helped you in some capacity, uh, me speaking for myself. And I think a lot of people out here is like, I don't know what I wanna do, but I do wanna help others. I wanna give back. So how, how do you feel like what you're doing currently, and I'd like you to delve into a little bit now what you're doing, and we can, talk, we can kind of put the puzzle pieces together, but how are you still helping people, and how have you found your niche? Yeah, so it's so funny, because when I first said that, you know, all those years ago, I didn't think there was anything special about it. I thought, who doesn't want to help people, right? If everybody must want to help people in some capacity. I didn't realize that there were gifts and there were strengths and there were talents that I had that were unique to me that allows me to do what I do unlike anybody else, right? Just like you have gifts and strengths and talents that allows you to do what you do unlike anybody else. Um, and so it's really cool to be here tonight and see so many of you in the audience that I've worked with over the last few years. Um, I digress, what was the question? So, so how, <laughs> how are you still helping people? And because I, I obviously, a lot of people might be here because you're, you're a life coach, which we'll get into in a second, but obviously you have a full-time job. So how are you still helping people and how have you still found your, your passion? Yeah, so I really see my role now as, really as a partner. It's working with either young professionals um, or I do a lot of executive coaching and a lot of team coaching. It's really helping people understand where they are, what's not working about that, where they wanna be, and what needs to change to get them there, or what doesn't need to change. Um, I think also often we can kind of get trapped in this you know, cycle of I'm not good enough and if you think differently or better, and we forget to take a look at what we're already doing well and what, and stay focused on what we want versus what we don't want. Um, so my role now is really you know, working with folks essentially to get out of their own way because we are our own biggest enemies. And the only thing truly holding us back is the thoughts and the beliefs that we hold true about ourselves. And it's all up here. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I know over the last eight to 10 years, you, you didn't get there overnight. And so you left Centenary College um, like many of us did, what was next and how would you describe that? Were there ups, were there downs, what, what, were there struggles? Because I'm very curious because I know uh, now you seem like you're thriving, but what were your early to mid-20s like? Oh, they were awful. <laughs> um, so we left New Jersey um, back in 2010 and I came down here um, and I accepted a job with an educational nonprofit called the Washington Center, which I think some of you might be familiar with. And um, it was great because it allowed me to work in DC, it allowed me to acclimate to the city, um, it allowed me to do what I thought I loved doing, um, and it didn't take me long to realize that I wasn't living up to my full potential. I felt like going to work, like, why am I here? Anyone could be doing this job. There's nothing special about me that makes this unique. There's 12 people in my position, we're essentially cookie cutters of one another. Um, and so while I met a great group of people and I really honed skills, I didn't feel settled. I didn't feel, it didn't feel right. Something felt off. Um, and so from that experience, I started this journey of, okay, so if this doesn't feel right, then what will feel right? Um, and that led me to what I can only describe now as my career rock bottom moment, which some of you have heard me talk about before. So after the Washington Center, I was offered a position with um, another um, educational institution. 
and it was in academic administration, so it was you know a better title, it was more money, it was a shorter commute, it was all the things that I thought I should have. So wanted. on paper, it was like this should be this should be it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the day that the recruiter called me, I was like thinking I was hot stuff, you know, like ooh, I'm getting recruited to go here and, and do this amazing job, and um, and I was in the role, I don't know, not even three weeks, and I came home and I said to to my husband Chris, I can't do this, and I I was panicking. I mean, it was really a moment of just despair and hopelessness because it's what I should have wanted. And part of me felt like, well, if this doesn't make you happy, nothing ever will. You're just helpless. You're going to be miserable forever. And so I had to throw myself a pity party for a while. <laughs> um, I really had to, you know, let myself experience those emotions and, and kind of get to the root of what was going on and really understand that that drive for more was still there. I was just trying to cover it up stuff. So I'm, I'm really curious, and I told you this, that I think the more you uh, share with us, the more we go deeper. What were, because I think we've all been there, right? Like on paper, this is gonna be the great opportunity. We're, we gotta get out something that we're not uh, happy with. So what were the red flags those first three weeks? Or, or what was your gut telling you? Or what was it, was it leadership? Like what was it that was like, this isn't it for Stacy? Yeah, my gut was screaming at me. I just wasn't really listening to it. Um, it was just one, the type of work was not me. It was curriculum design. No offense, Joy. I know you're also a fellow curriculum <laughs> designer. Um, <laughs> but as someone who, you know, is an extrovert and who needs to be around people and that's how I get my energy, I obviously like to talk a lot. Sitting at a computer all day doing this and not doing this was not fueling. So, so really, it was, it was, the base of it was the wrong, just job fit. It was also just culturally not a great fit for me. Um, it was a company who cared more about the money than the students. It was a for-profit institution. Um, so that didn't feel right. Um, and it was just, you know, I, I ignored the red flags. Like, I remember going into my interview, and no one was smiling. Like, no one looked happy. And in my first day, like, someone would sneeze, and no one said, bless you. It's like, Common, cur you common courtesy. Yeah, it was, just, yeah. Like, it was a very weird um, at the time, I thought it was weird. Now I understand. Now that I understand what dynamics are, I get it. But at the time, I was like, what? What's going on here? People were miserable. But I, I so badly wanted that job to be something. I wanted it to be, you know, the thing I could settle into and say, look, I'm successful now. I finally made it. But I didn't listen to any of those things. I think I, I've been in this position. I'm sure there's going to be people watching this or in the audience. But um, would there be one or two things that, like, if you were going on another job interview or somebody here going on an interview in the next week or two, what would be something you would observe other than like, you know, somebody sneezing? What would, what, what should, because I think that's such a key indicator. Your, your interview, it's, it's like a marriage proposal. Like you only have three or four hours to decide, like, do you want to work with them for the rest of your life? Yeah. So, so what should be things that they look for? Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, you know, you don't decide to marry someone. It's not a logical decision. Well, for most of us. You know, you don't sit down and say, do they meet all of your requirements? Check, check, check. It's very intuitive. It's, it's really just about the feeling that you get when you're with that person. And it's the same thing when you're applying for a job. What's your gut telling you when you're walking around the office building? You know, what kind of vibe do you get? Um, how well do you connect with people? Do they seem that, you know, they have, um, they value similar things that you do? You know, if you like to collaborate and it seems like most of them are in their offices with their doors closed, is that gonna be the best fit? So it's really just paying attention and knowing what fuels you in the workplace and then being very curious to intentionally notice those things when I'm interviewed. Ask questions. I think we forget that on job interviews, we're in interviewing them as much as they're interviewing us. I mean, it feels like they have the upper hand and they're in control. That's not true. It's got to work for you just as much as it has to work for them. Would there be uh, one question that you've maybe advised other people that you've used? So like the whole like, hey, do you have any questions? What would yeah. be a question that they could ask? To... Yeah, so this is my favorite question and you can decide to use it or not. Um, in some industries, it won't fly, but um, in, luckily in the work that I do, uh, folks tend to get a kick out of it. Um, so the last job interview I went on, I decided I'm going to be me because they're hiring me and I'm not going to be anybody else. And so, you know, I asked some of the usual questions, you know, where do you, where do you see this department in five years? What, are, what does this team bring the table? All of those things. And then I think the question that sealed the deal was, so this team could have a theme song. What would it be and why? So you asked that of them? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's a great one. Um, so that's rock, career rock bottom, and, and you and I both agree like we could go there and we could share that with the audience. 
So talk to me about the, the three weeks after that first job. How did you dig yourself out of career rock bottom? And, and what led you to what you're doing over the last few years? Yeah, so let's see. So about three weeks in was about two months before our And wedding. what year was this, just so people have context? Oh, God, yeah, I don't know. We're 20, not dating ourselves, okay. No, right. 2012. Yeah, 2012. Um, and it was the summer. It was June of 2012, actually. So, and we were getting in September, so it was about three, three months before our wedding. So talk about crisis, right? Because like I'm in this job I hate. I know I don't want to do it. I don't know what I want to do. I can't quit because I'm paying for a wedding. So that's not an option. I need to pay that. Um, and so how did I dig myself out? Well, like I said, I threw myself the pity party. And then eventually it kind of got to the point where it was like, all right, you can choose to stay here forever or you can choose to do something about it. So what's it going to be? And it wasn't an easy choice to make. And I wish I could tell you it was like all of a sudden I had this epiphany and I knew what I wanted and it was just like, you know, off the races. Um, but it was a slow process and I spent probably, I don't know, maybe six months or so just researching what are careers that would allow me to do what I love to do. And that was a really hard question to answer. And I think it took me so long to answer it because I didn't know. I didn't know who I was. Again, I lacked confidence. I didn't know who I was. I didn't think I had any special skills or gifts. Um, and so before I could even research the careers, I had to figure out what were those things. And so I went back to that thing I said about what attracted me to sociology, which was, okay, I know I like to help people. That's something. Let's start there. What are careers I can help people? Well, there's occupational therapy and physical therapy, which is great, except for I suck at science. So that's not <laughs> Um, so I knew any of those kind of helping professions weren't in my wheelhouse. And I went back to, you know, things like my Myers-Briggs type, ENFP, in case any of you are wondering. Where's my fellow, yeah, my fellow ENFP, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and so I started researching, okay, so what are the things that, you know, would really, with someone with my personality type, what, you know, are some good career options? And it was a lot of the usual, like, nurses and teachers and all of that. And randomly something popped up that said, coaching. And I always thought that coaching and consulting were the same thing. And I never pursued it because, again, I'm a 20-something, hates my job, and lacks confidence. Who the hell wants to listen to me? Like, who am I to tell somebody what to do, right? But something piqued my interest. And I did a little more research, and I realized that coaching and consulting are not the same thing at all. They're, they're not even close. They're actually two very different modalities. And in that moment, it was just this pure wave of relief. There's been very few times in my life where I've had that feeling, but it was just this sense of, okay, this is what you're meant to do. This is it. And I immediately started Googling coach training schools. I found IPEC, which is the school I ended up going to um, after doing some research. And within 40 hours, I had sent in my deposit and signed the contract. Wow. So obviously you were in a dark place, career rock bottom. You had to spend three to six months of like being like, I need to get out of this and do something about it. Um, I think both of you and I and several people in here, we've talked to people that they feel that way, but they, they don't even know where to start or they don't know how to have that self-talk to get out. So before we go forward, I want to ask, like, what, what do you tell somebody that was in your position, but they don't have the wherewithal to be like, what do I want to do? Or, or to go back, like, what was I good at in college? Um, how do you provide that clarity when they're at rock bottom? Yeah, it's hard to get to that clarity because so often we're just beating ourselves up, right? Because we're there and it sucks and it hurts and we feel like a failure. And so, of course, we can't think clearly. Of course, we can't figure out what we like to do because we're so busy stuck in the self-doubt and the worry that it's like a never-ending cycle. Um, and so I think, you know, I think understanding that we label emotions as good or bad but they're not really good or bad, right? Like we're all born with the ability to feel sadness, to feel anger, to feel frustration, to feel joy, to feel excitement, to feel love. So we think that when we're feeling one of those bad emotions or negative emotions that something is wrong, but it's actually quite the opposite. It's just a message telling you that something isn't right right now. And so um, I started using with my clients um, the term, thank your misery. Right? Nobody ever was laying on a beach in Hawaii 
and had this like life-changing epiphany of like, I'm gonna go back and like quit my accounting job and become, you know, a world famous speaker. It's always in those moments of despair. It's always in that darkness do we really realize that something isn't working for us. So I think the biggest thing is just know that there's nothing wrong with you for going that way. It's normal and it's actually serving our purpose. It's whether or not you're willing at that point in time to dive into, okay, so if I'm feeling this way, what message is it trying to send me? Yeah. So obviously it's, it's, it's self-reflection, but it's, it's really kind of giving that kick in the butt, like I need to get out of this. Let's, let's go the opposite direction because I think there's people that have gone out of career rock bottom and they're thriving. And, and I think you and I have talked about this in the last three years is when I was in my rock bottom, I used that energy to go forward. And I've had bouts where I've kind of, not that I've made it, but I haven't ha I'm, I'm somewhat happy, but I haven't had that misery. So some, I've lost a little bit of motivation or energy. How do you work or what do you tell people in that sense that like they've gone out of rock bottom, now they're not fighting, they're kind of in limbo. And they're, they're not fighting against misery, but they're still trying to reach the other professional goals. Yeah. Is that common? Oh my gosh, all the time. I think, you know, one of the hardest places as humans um, or spots to get out of is the place of toleration. You know, when things are bad, it's really easy to make a change because things really suck. <laughs> but when things are just fine, when things are good, when they're good enough, it's hard to make a change because then our brains get involved, right? And start to tell us all the reasons why we shouldn't. And all the reasons why we should be grateful, because there are people in the world with worse jobs than us. Blah 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 blah. Right. So we should be grateful for what we have. Um, and so, to your point, you know, when you're in that place of toleration, that is the hardest place to get out of. And we're all there at some point in our life, and we have to be, right? Because sometimes things have to be good enough. We can't be expending all that energy to make them great. It's just when we find ourselves there for a long period of time, if things are always good enough, they're never great. So let's go back to you. How did you make that career transition? So uh, you obviously worked in student affairs, higher education, curriculum design. You're at rock bottom. You decide to go to coaching. And now I know you're doing professional coaching in both on, with your own business and with another organization full time. So how did, there's so many people here I think that want to make a career transition. And they talk about um, you know, uh, transferable skills. So how, how did you do that? And what's your advice to other people that are like, I know I can do this, but I want to do it in another industry. Yeah, so I stayed in that awful job for two years while I built my business. And I started seeing private clients. Um, and so I really allowed that job to work for me as well as for me to work for that job. And that's something I think a lot of us have a really hard time with because we're taught you know, that when you work for a company that you go and you give it your all and it's 120% all of the time. And that's what makes you a great employee, and that's what gets you ahead. And that would be great and true if you wanted to stay in that company, right? But the truth is most of us are overachievers. And so you can dial it back to 80%, and you can save 20% of your energy to do the things that are really gonna fuel you. It's not gonna make you a slacker. Your company's not gonna notice. Your boss is still gonna think you're doing amazing work, and you're keeping something for yourself. So I think that's number one, is just you can't be at, you know, going 120 in one position and then also looking some, for something else. You have to give yourself that emotional room and that energy to create the space for it. Um, so talk about toleration, I tolerated that job for two years, right? Because it allowed me, bless you, to, to do what I wanted to do and to start seeing clients. It's very appropriate. <laughs> See, I learned from my, from my terrible job. Um, <laughs> and then it got to the point where it was same thing. Okay, I tolerated it for a while. Okay, now it's getting too painful. I've, I've gotten what I need. They've gotten what they need from me. It's time to move on. And it was really at a crossroads of do I do my own thing or do I apply somewhere else? And so without me knowing, my husband started applying for jobs online for me. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I finally came clean my coworkers about two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts applying for jobs. I have no idea. I'm out to lunch one day with a friend and I get a call from a recruiter. Hi, we got your resume. We'd love for you to come in for an interview. Luckily, I can tap dance on my feet because I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> well, who are you with? Yeah, like, what what is job is this? Right? So I and then you call Chris up and like, what? Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, where, where is she? Where, what application is he sending in for me? Um, <clears throat> so I walked in the interview, guys, being like, I'm not taking this job. Like, I was so against it. I'm not working here. 
I don't want another full-time job. Yeah. And they blew me away. How did they blow you? So opposite, what were the, the green flags? What were the things yeah. that you're like, I gotta work for this company? Yeah, it was the connection, it was the conversation. It was, you know, the second I walked in the room, we were able to have um, meaningful discussions about you know, who they were and who I was. It didn't start off with the typical, so tell us about this point on your resume. Tell us about this point on your resume. They really wanted to know who I was and they really allowed me to see who they were. Not only as individuals, but as a team. And I just remember feeling like, these are my people. Like these are people that I want to work with every day because I can see myself collaborating and supporting them and teaching them and they can teach me and it can really be um, a very rich growing experience. Yeah, cool. So uh, you've been there for two, two and a half years. years? Yeah, two years. Um, so you do that. I know obviously you've, so I don't know if anybody's been part of coaching and cocktails that Stacy and uh, her friend Joanna do. Um, so you've had a lot going on. What, what, is, what does it look like now? Like what, what are you working on? Are you fulfilled? And, um, and, and what would you kind of leave the audience with before we get into a little bit more, a couple more questions I have for you? Yeah, I mean, I would love to tell you, like, yes, every day is like, you know, rainbows and sunshine. No, <laughs> there are more days like that than not. Um, but I'm still a human, right? So there are definitely days where I'm tired and I just want to go to bed and I can't because, you know, I have, I have to go to coaching and cocktails. Sorry, you guys, a little behind the scenes, right? But then once I get there, it's amazing and it's energizing. So I think that, you know, there's never going to be a thing that fuels us completely. And... It's, we set ourselves up from failure when we think that any one thing will do so. I mean, if it was, if you were in a relationship and you expected your partner to do that, we'd call that codependence, right? And we'd say there's a problem with this. But for some reason, we think it's totally normal when it comes to our job. So it's, for me, I think, you know, if it's about 80% of the time I'm loving what I do, I can handle other 20%, right? It makes it worth it. Yeah. Um, because it's never going to be a full yeah. 100. How do you, how would you recommend to people to shut off from their job or feel good with 80%, whether it's one month, one quarter, one year, one five-year window. And, and, and the caveat is if you work for an organization that they pay you or you're an entrepreneur, because I know I feel as an entrepreneur, like if I'm not going, I feel like I'm failing. And that may be true or not, but so, so t talk to me about those two type of professionals. How do you maybe just be like, I'm okay. Yeah, well, it's, it's the same. I mean, the pressures are different, right? Depending on where your money's coming from but it's the same motivation to keep going and going and doing more. And so the way you get yourself out of that is you really have to think about how do I define success? And it's not the way we've been taught for most of us. You know, very rarely is, is it, you know, success for me is having the corner office and making six figures. Um, for some people it is, but I find most of the time if that's our response, that's just the pre-programmed response that we've been conditioned to believe. For most of us, you know, when we're 95, sitting, you know, in the nursing home drinking sweet tea <laughs> and looking back on our lives. I'm gonna be drinking wine, I don't know yeah, about yeah, you. Okay, yeah. fair enough, spiked sweet tea. Um, <laughs> it's not, we're not gonna remember, you know, the promotions or the money or the bonuses. We're gonna remember, was the work meaningful? Did I make really powerful connections? Did I help people? And so when you're at the end of your career, what do you wanna say about it? What do you want to remember? And if it's the money, that's great. And if it's not, redefine your success. Redefine how you define success. And work from that version. Because the whole working 80 hours a week and being connected all the time isn't most of our definitions. We just adopted it. And so it's challenging that belief. And really asking yourself, where did it come from? And how true is it? A handful of more questions I have for you, then we can turn over to you guys, the audience. But what is coaching like? So you went to IPEC. What's your take on the coach, coaching industry now that you've been in it? Yeah. And I have a few follow-up questions with that. Yeah. So, um, so coaching is amazing. Everyone should have a coach. I have a coach too. And her name is also Stacy, <laughs> which is really fun for me. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, coaching is really a partnership that allows, allows me as the coach to really challenge people and to help them see where they might be holding themselves back. You know, what are those beliefs that, that they've created that are keeping them from where they want to be? We tend to think in terms of development on changing the what we do, right? Like we always go toward the action part of it. But the truth is our thoughts create our feelings, which create our actions. 
And so you can change what you're doing, but if you don't change the core thought, the result isn't gonna ever change. You're just gonna recreate the same situation. You know, you might get a new job, but in six months from now, you're miserable again. If you don't really take the time to get clear on what are the rules I'm living my life by? What are the things that I believe to be true about myself and others in the world? And so coaching allows me to help people do that very thing. It allows me to help folks really understand who they are at the core. Because I believe that once you know who you are, the what you do is easy. I don't stress about it anymore. Because I recognize that as a human, I'm going to evolve. I don't know if five years from now I'm going to be coaching. But I'm not stressed about that, right? Because the what is just an expression of the who. And so once you have that clear confidence and clarity, it's amazing how you just don't, don't stress about those things. Yeah. What if um, a young professional, whether they're early 20s out of college, mid-30s, or at the end of their career, career spectrum, say they, let's call it what it is, say financially, or because of where they are, they can't get access to a coach. What would be some solutions, whether it's maybe where they work, or like, what would be some solutions? Because I, I know coaching isn't, it's not free, because your time is worth something, so like, what do you, how, what would the answer to that be? Yeah, well, there's always coaching and cocktails. Third Wednesday every month of the We Work in Patient. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's about having a really good support system, right? It's about having people in your life that will call you out on your own BS. Um, and one of the easiest ways to find people who will do that is to start doing that for people. Um, I think, you know, we, most of us, especially us ladies in the room, we tend to be people pleasers and we don't want to hurt people's feelings. And, you know, we've been taught to be nurturing and compassionate and compassionate people don't tell someone the truth like that. And the reality is we're just keeping people stuck. We're keeping ourselves stuck. So I think you'll be surprised if you start holding up a mirror to folks and showing them what you're seeing in a loving and compassionate way, of course. They'll start doing the same for you. So you got to give to receive, yeah. Um, I want to I phrase this the right way. Where do, you, where do you see the pulse of, so there's a lot, we're in Washington, D.C. I know you've worked with several colleagues. What is the common thing that they come to you with and how do you help them? Yeah. Because it's a young professional city, so what's the common theme and how do you help them provide yeah. clarity? Um, Emily, if I can call you out, I don't know where you are. But the first thing she said to me earlier was, I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do next. That is literally why I'd say 90% of my clients have hired me, is because they're trying to figure out the thing that they want to do next. And it's common not just among young professionals, but everyone. So, you know, I am very fortunate in that I get to coach um, folks of all age ranges. And I can tell you that someone who's approaching retirement is just as scared about what's next as you are right now. That feeling doesn't necessarily go away unless you take the time to do the work and get really clear on who you are so you can figure out the what. Yeah. Um, so I told you I was going to ask you this. What would be the number one resource? I know you, uh, a couple, two or three years ago, you did a values assessment with me, which I think was life-changing, which I think you should talk to Stacy about. And I think it's, I don't know if it's a free document or not, but what is a, what is a free resource where they could get started? Or I'm going to ask you that. And then the follow-up question is, what is one question they could ask themselves leaving here tonight if they're stuck? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good just one question. Kept that so hard. <clears throat> so I think, you know, if there's one question that you can ask yourself, and it has to be continuous. It can't be just a one-time thing. But it's, what do I want? What do I want in this moment? What do I want in this job? What do I want in this relationship? And not being... And not holding back, you know, you can be selfish with your response. You don't have to share with anybody but you. Um, but what that does is it allows you to start focusing on more of what you want, which allows you to take action and get the thing that you want, as opposed to what most of us do, which is ask ourselves why. Why are things this way? Why did I do that? And the why questions really keep us stuck in the past. So focus on the what and focus on what you want, because you know what you don't want. And if you can do just that one thing, you'll find yourself in a world of difference in just a few short weeks. Um, and in terms of free resources, there are 
Could be a book, a website, Gosh. a guide, something you've done, or? Yeah, well, we have the mission of a book, which is amazing. <laughs> and it's definitely a great place to start, you know, hearing about how other folks found, found the answer to their question of what do you want. Um, some of my favorite bloggers, uh, Marie Forleo, who actually kind of introduced me to years ago, she is a business and life coach. She is amazing. She has um, a weekly series she calls Marie TV. And she does like short little clips and it's always incredible. So definitely check her out. Um, on my website, there is a free ebook called The Four Little Secrets to Find Your Niche. So if you're having trouble answering that question, what do I want? Um, actually, I think the value is that to be in there. So that's also a really great place to start. Um, and I have a ton more that I'm just blanking on in the moment. But if you email me and tell me what's going on with you, I can absolutely cool. send you to the right place. Cool. So let's say people are climbing out of rock bottom. I, this question in two, two or three rapid fire. So they're at a rock bottom and they're going to get going. How do you keep going? How do you keep that confidence? How do you set goals for yourself? How do you, and you know I have a problem with this of saying self-motivated and, and self-disciplined. How do you, what would you recommend to those people? Yeah. Um, so for me, and I think it's worked for you too, it's surrounding ourselves with other people who are in similar situations, right? Who are striving for the same things to help keep us accountable and motivated. Um, I think we oftentimes think we have to do things ourselves and that asking for help makes us weak. When the truth is, you know, as a human species, we've only survived this long because we've used each other, right, to survive. So leverage the folks in your life. Ask them to hold you accountable. Find others who are in similar spots and who are looking to grow themselves in the same way as you are. You know, Meetup is a great resource. Go on Eventbrite, see what's out there. You know, just ask your friends and your coworkers what, what groups they belong to. Yeah. There's a reason we do events like this in person, because there's going to be somebody that meets somebody in this event. Um, so three rapid fire questions. What was your very first job? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to admit it. I, I worked in the shoe department at Walmart when I was 15. It's fitting. Um, <laughs> it was little I could walk to nice. before I could drive. Um, what has been the most exciting moment of your life? Just one? Personal, professional, I'll give you two. Okay, so, you know, I think for me, personally, it was just a moment at um, our rehearsal dinner right before, the night before our wedding. And um, just looking around and seeing all the folks that were there to celebrate us and, and just really allowing myself to kind of feel the love. You know, it was such a, what is playing such a stressful process and you don't always, Put your head up and kind of look around and take it all in. And I allowed myself, you know, just a minute to do that and um, to see the relationships that I had formed. You know, Kevin was there, and Courtney was there, and at that point, you guys were still in Jersey, so you had driven down here um, just for a wedding and, and just to, to be surrounded by the folks that meant so much to me. Cool. And get my top values connection. Yeah. Yeah. Professional moment that you're. Um, I think, you know, professionally, there, there's obviously been a lot of them. The one that stands out to me um, happened pretty recently. I was coaching an executive. She's 60-something, near retirement, and, you know, honestly, talk about, like, the I'm not good enough message. The whole session, I was like, am I even helping her? Like, I don't even, what is going on? And at the end, it, you know, I always ask my clients, so, okay, so tell me how valuable was the chef's session for you? And she said to me, you have no idea. I just feel so alone, and I feel like I have no one to talk to. And just the fact that I could share this with you, like you can't tell you how much that means. And in that moment, it reminded me of that you know, motto that I created all those years ago, I just want to help people. And helping people doesn't have to be in the way that I think it you know, has to be, it's in the way that they need it. That's awesome. And the last question I, I always love asking every guest is, uh, We'll do it because it's kind of time appropriate. There was just graduations happening. So what would you tell yourself if you go back to your Stacy Rinaldi, you just graduated uh, Centenary College, what would you tell your 22-year-old self? To slow down, not to do it all. I was your classic overachiever. Um, when I was in college, I mean, oh my God, I, you know, I got trainees and I was a tutor and I you know, worked in student leadership and I was an RA and I don't know, I, I did five other things um, and it wasn't, you know, of course those experiences were, were enriching in some way and I got something out of it. And I was also stressed all of the time. So I would say slow down, you don't have to do it all. 
it's okay. You're actually going to learn more and you're going to grow more if you give yourself the space to be intentional with the one or two things that you choose to do. Cool. Please give it up for Stacy. Thank you, Stacy. I think you're pretty much of an open book. What would you like to ask Stacy tonight? Things we didn't hit on, things that intrigued you, things you're struggling with or happy about? Okay, so first of all, who's not in that spot in some way right now? Right, we all are. Um, so thank you for asking that question and for being so open about it because the self-doubt is a killer. You know, and I think you answered your own question, which is I know what I should be doing, right? Like logically, you know all the steps that you could be taking, but you aren't taking action because of that self-doubt. And so really the key is knowing that we all have self-doubt. We all will continue to have it because we're humans with egos, right? And our egos never go away. And to stop beating yourself up for it. Um, so the more that you can just have compassion, like if your best friend was to come to you and say, I really want to do this thing, but I just don't think I'm capable, what would you say to her? I guarantee you the answer would be a lot different than what you tell yourself, right? Because what you tell yourself is really mean and nasty. And so it's recognizing when you're doing that and not judging yourself for doing that. Just saying, Okay, but if I wanted to take you know, the more compassionate approach here, what would I say? And from that place, she'll be in a better spot to take action and make decisions. I'm really oversimplifying this process. It's, this is the hardest work you'll ever do. Understanding, you know, so we call our, um, that voice, that self-doubt, a gremlin. Understanding your gremlin, understanding its message, understanding where it comes from, you know, when in your world, did it first develop and why? And having gratitude for it because all your gremlin wants to do is to keep you safe. It doesn't want you to take action. It doesn't want you to take risks because that makes you vulnerable. It wants to keep you safe and small. So recognizing it's just a part of you who's in self-protection mode. And then from that point, you can say, all right, self, thank you for trying to protect me, but I got this. I don't need protection. Does that help? I like the, I got this. So Stacey, you talk a lot about surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded and help support you. Mm -hmm. How do you weed out the people that hold you back? <laughs> That's a great question. Did you guys hear Joy? She asked, so I talked a lot about surrounding yourself with people who support you, but how do you weed out those who don't? It's really hard, especially in the beginning, right? Especially if you're a people pleaser like I used to be. Um, so how do you do it? You know, you don't, I think that we think weeding people out has to be harsh and it has to be, you know, like us attacking their character and like, oh, I can't hang out with you because you're this terrible person. Um, when the truth is, you can choose how much you want someone in your life. You know, we all have those friends that are a lot of fun and when you go to the bar, they're great, but you don't, you're not going to confide all your secrets in them. So it's recognizing that not everybody has to be at the same level. You know, it's like you can keep the the first level that core for the folks that are those supportive people who really um, get you and support you and, and who you just trust with your life and then what's the second level out from there and then what's the third level and then for the folks that you just don't see space for it is one of the hardest decisions you'll ever make but in the end of the day they're probably feeling some shade of the same way too you know they're probably feeling like something that's even right in this relationship and again you can do it from a place of compassion um, but ending it ultimately will be best for you and for them because now they're on an energy drain. You know, those are the people that we're thinking about and we're worrying about and when they, their name comes up on our phones, it's like immediate stress trigger. Other questions?
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the first step in figuring out what are the roles that you live your life by is just by observing yourself every day. And in, you know, in each moment, just kind of getting curious with it. Like, huh, I wonder what rule I'm living by right now. If you want to you know, be overambitious and like take an hour and sit down and, and actually like think about it and write out all the rules that you live by by, you can certainly do that. Um, this work doesn't have to be time consuming. It can be if you want it to be, but really just setting the intention to plant the seed of, I want to start uncovering some of these rules, will be enough. And now you're going to start automatically identifying them. Um, our brains, you know, really are magnificent computers. Like, think about when you want to buy a car. Like, so right now I really love Ford Fusions. I don't know why, but I love them. So everywhere I go, I see Ford Fusions. It's not that there's more of them, it's just I'm paying attention to them now. So it's the same thing with the rules. You know, once you set the intention of I want to discover what rules I've created for myself, you'll automatically start picking up on them. Does that help? Um, first of all, this was a really awesome session. Like a lot of active studies that you can take. Based on what you have to say. But it seems like you've been able to work with young people and also <laughs> All yeah. Career spectrum. Another <laughs> end of the career spectrum. Whole career spectrum. Um, are there any like glaring differences or similarities in the issues that all professions have when it comes to how we're interacting work and how we're doing similarities Yeah. So that's actually a really good question. And you know, my first response to that is I was shocked at how alike we all are. Because I thought there would be a lot of differences. I thought, surely someone who's you know, 45 and executive is gonna worry about different things than we do. As humans, we all have the same fears. We all have the same you know, things that hold us back. And so we're more alike than I think we give ourselves credit for. Um, and of course there are some differences, I mean, just generationally, right? Like someone who is um, a Gen Xer or a baby boomer might value different things than we do. But at the end of the day, the, the stuff that holds us back is generally the same. Yes, yeah, Okay, so um, I can say that now being in my 30s, I'm jealous of people in their 20s because at that point in my life, I didn't know really what life held and the sort of probably things that can happen in a job or different life experiences that you, know, you could go through. And uh, I remember saying, you know, in my 20s, you know, the world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want. And now I frequently see those, and like, yeah, the world's their oyster. And so you start kind of thinking, I should have done things differently. Maybe if I would have done that, or I would have done this. So, what advice would you give someone other than knowing that, you know, that feeling is silly and that I shouldn't have that? The, the world can still be my oyster. Yeah. Um, what do you give someone that's kind of um, looking at that sort of self-confidence that maybe others have and trying to regain that themselves later. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. First of all, your feeling isn't silly at all, right? It's only natural to look at somebody else and think, I want what you have. It's not fair that you still have it. Um, and so, you know, how do you regain your confidence? How do you kind of put yourself back in the place of, I, I can do it, right? Like, I got this. Something I touched upon, um, actually early in the conversation, which is recognizing that every experience gives us purpose and meaning. It's us, up to us how we choose to use it. So what I mean by that is, you know, you might look at someone in their 20s and they might like be, you know, um, totally overambitious and like seem like they don't have a care in the world and that they're just doing all the things that they want to do and they, they seem really successful. And I guarantee you to talk to them they have the same gremlin messages that you do, that I do. And so it's recognizing that one, no one's got it all. <laughs> it just looks like that from the outside. <coughs> and two, it's our journeys who make us who, are, who we are, and it's who we are that attracts other people to us. And that's important because none of us work alone, right? We all work with other people. And so who you are now as a result of feeling like I missed my chance, is going to bring you to where you want to be.
One last question before we wrap it up. Well, thank you to the three or four of you that were brave enough to ask a question. I know if I were in your position, I'd be like, I'm going to wait until like there's one person left in the room. So obviously, at any time, you can do that. Um, we're going to be here for the next uh, 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, obviously, a lot of you have, have connected here through Eventbrite, so we do have your email. But if you want to email us or connect with us at the Niche Movement, uh, you can do so. Stacy. before I kind of have some closing announcements, how can people connect with you or stay in touch if they want to ask a question like a year down the road? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say it in front of Kevin, but I actually really stink at social media. Um, you're taking a break. No, you're taking a break. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think definitely. So the best way to get me is to email me. And my email is Stacey, S-T-A-C-Y, at slccoaching.net. Um, that is the fastest way. Um, and if you're interested in having more conversations like this, we do host a meetup, um, Joanna and I, who's my partner, the third Wednesday of every month over at the WeWork in K Street called Coaching and Cocktails. And so you can find us the meetup. Yeah, cool. Uh, before I give my closing announcements, please, once again, give it up for Stacy. Thank you so much for coming out. Chris, thank you for coming out and supporting your wife. <laughs> so thank you. Um, and here, here's what I'd like to close with is, this is our fifth fireside chat. I've been telling a lot of people over these events, we've, we've been telling stories for the last three or four years. So I think the one plug, if I could make one, would be that Stacy's antidotes and resources and tips are one of many that we have for free. So we just did four of these between uh, February and April. So there's four full long videos of all different people from in in industries and experiences that are on our YouTube channel and our podcast. And you could literally listen to them for free. And we're going to be doing more of these. So next week, we're going to New York City and interviewing another good friend of mine, Amanda, who went from working for the Associated Press to now running. She's a, basically a food and uh, event influencer in New York City. Very cool story. And um, we're going to take a break in the summer, July and August. But we're going to come back and do an event at HBO uh, in September. And then we're looking to put together, actually, a veterans panel version of this here in October around Marine Corps Marathon, hopefully. And then I'd like to close it out with a special uh, event, with a special project I'm working on in November uh, to close out the year. But again, I'm, I'm very grateful for the sponsors and the people like you to come out to, do, to, to attend these events. But again, there might be some antidote that you want to come back to or somebody that's not here with you. And, and I think the reason that we have Dan and Kai and all our other interns like Bryson and Heidi here is because they're the, they're the brains behind this and putting out so much content. And uh, if I could give one more round of applause for these guys that help plan these events because they're doing it for free, basically. Um, with that, thank you guys again so much. I thought it was a great conversation and a great audience in Stace. Thanks so much. But feel free to help yourself to any leftover snacks, beer, or wine. And uh, any way that we can help, feel free to connect with us. Thank you guys. Have a great night. <laughs>